Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you all out this morning. The snow did not scare any of you off. That's wonderful. Good Halibertonians. Not worried about a little flurry here and there. Uh, In Ephesians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul says, or he prays for the many Christians that he's writing to. And the Apostle Paul is great for including prayers right in his letters and in his writing. And in Ephesians chapter 1, he specifically prays that they might be given uh, the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And that phrase, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, is, is kind of a lead-in to why we're doing this series called Jesus Is. It's the basic premise behind this. I, I need the eyes of my heart enlightened on a regular basis as to who Jesus is, who God is, to the hope that I'm called to. And we all need the eyes of our hearts open to this. And I don't know if you've ever been to the eye doctor. I've worn glasses since I was in kindergarten in one form or another, contacts, glasses, LASIK surgery, back to glasses again because I got old. Um, But So I have a lot of experience with this. If you go to the eye doctor, you know, they bring that big machine out on an arm and they put it in front of you. And then he's like right up in your face, really close. And he always has like scope or Listerine or something because he's so close to you. And he's, and he's flipping the, the machine, and he's got you looking at a, at a poster way down at the end of the room with the numbers and letters on it. And he flips it, and he keeps flipping these lenses in front of your eyes until it starts to come into focus. And then he's like, better like this, or better like this? A or B? Okay, better like this, better like this. And you're sitting there thinking, I can fail this test. <laughs> Because if I get this wrong, I'm wearing these glasses for the next three years. But they're flipping those lenses in front of you, and he's got, there must be a million of them in there. Well, the Bible is kind of like that machine, and and it's full of lenses that help us see Jesus more clearly. And, And Jesus, in the scriptures, is given about 50 or 60 or more different titles or names. And those titles and names are like those lenses in the machine. And and we get to look through the title or the name of Jesus to see him more clearly. And so we're going to begin this series, Jesus Is. One of the lenses that's there uh, is that uh, he is the word of God. What, What does it mean that when the Bible says Jesus is the word of God? Is it just a poetic form of writing that Jesus is the word? Does it mean that Jesus teaches the word of God or that Jesus embodies the word of God? Uh, is that he is, you know, has, is the best interpreter of the Old Testament scriptures? Um, you know, what does it mean that Jesus is the word? Does it mean we should worship the Bible or worship the word because Jesus is the word? You know, is it any of those? Is it all of those? And, and we hear this phrase and we see it written in our Bible and we wonder how does the fact that Jesus is the word supposed to open the eyes of our heart 
How is that a lens that we can look through to see Jesus more clearly? Because when, when Jesus was walking along the road to Emmaus after his resurrection, and a couple of his followers were there with him on the road, he says that we're told that he opened the scriptures from Moses to the prophets and showed how they all spoke of him. So everything in the Bible is written for us to see Jesus more clearly, not the least of which are the names and titles that he's been given. And so what I hope that we can see this morning and in the next 11 weeks is that through these names and titles, we see Jesus more clearly. And by declaring Jesus is the word of God, the Bible is making at least three things I want us to see this morning through those lenses critically important. There are three really important claims about the identity of Jesus by calling him the word. That Jesus is the word of God. We're going to see that it is in respect to creation, in revelation, and in salvation. And there's two key texts this morning, uh, one from the Gospel of John, John 1, and the other from Hebrews, Hebrews 1. And we're going to look into these two key texts and then bring in some other verses that show how they are illuminating the rest of Scripture has to say about Jesus. And so we'll see how he is important and the Word of God is important in creation, revelation, and salvation as we seek to see Jesus more clearly. Uh, Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your Word. We thank you that it is Uh, the lens by which you've given us to see who you are and see who your son is and who the Holy Spirit is. Uh, That uh, we can look at the word and by peering carefully uh, through the lenses that you've given us, we can see you as you intend to be seen. And so, Lord, help us to see Jesus more clearly this morning. Help us in seeing him more clearly and beholding him to love him and to cherish and to treasure him more and to know with greater confidence the hope that we have in him. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So our first text is John 1, 1 to 3. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. In Hebrews 1, 1 to 3, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed to be the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high." As I said, we'll unpack creation, revelation, and salvation as Jesus is spoken of as the Word of God. So first of all, Jesus is the Word of God in creation. And we should notice right away in the beginning lines of the Gospel of John, as you open up John and you start reading it, uh, if you have any biblical literacy at all, you should recognize that John is deliberately mirroring the opening lines of Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And then God said seven more times, eight times in total in Genesis 1, God said and spoke creation into being. Psalm 33 tells us, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts... And so it's really hard to imagine how John could make his point any more clearly than the way that he has. In the beginning, God made everything by speaking it into being with his word. 
And so, of course, the word was there in the beginning before creation. So when, God, when John starts his gospel, he says the word was with God and the word was God. The word was there in the beginning before anything was created. And so this is first lesson of John here is that the word is more than just breath. The, the word is more than just sounds strung together. The word is more than just what is written on the page. The word of God is a person John reveals. The word was with God, and he became flesh. And without him, without that word, there's not anything made and any made thing apart from him. So in terms of understanding who God is and who Jesus is, if we're looking through this lens of Jesus being the word, we can't overlook the significance of what John is saying here about Jesus and creation. First, that God is the creator, creation being the defining act that makes God, God. You have pretty much common ground with every person on that matter. If you're going to talk about God, you're talking about the creator, whatever their background. And so John says, let's start there. Let's start with creation. Let's start with the creator. God created by his word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. By the nature of his being the creator, the word had to be God. Because if the word's a creator, then the word is God. And then John clarifies it further, in case you missed it. There's two kinds of things in existence. There's created things on one hand and God on the other. If you're a created thing, then you're not God. And if you're God, then you're not a created thing. It's either one or the other. So to make his point really plain about who the word is, John says, all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. So just in case, John is saying, you want to imagine or argue that the word was something that God created, he wasn't. Because without him was not anything made that was made. He made everything. If the word was a made thing, then he would have had to have made himself or have been first made by God. And then John would have to write something like, and without him was not anything made that was made except for one thing, which was him, who God made first, and then he made everything else after him. But that's not what John wrote. John said... God, the word was with God, and the word was God, and every made thing is made through him. So the word is the creator. And the apostle Paul picks up on this just a little bit. He says in Colossians, For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So Paul says all things were created, not just earthly things, Not just physical things, but heavenly things. Not just visible stuff, but invisible stuff. Powers and authorities. And and Paul's getting into this category of things that we might call angels and demons and, you know, all the heavenly powers and authorities that we don't really understand what all of those things are. All of them were created by him and through him and for him. So Jesus is not another angel. He's not a special creation. He's the creator. If we go to our other key verse in Hebrews, he says, through also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. It's Jesus that has created all things, and he is holding everything up. He wants to get the same emphasis across here, the significance of the word being the creator. He's the exact imprint of God and the significance to his identity. So as we look through this lens of Jesus being called the word, we have to understand that this is really significant to our understanding Jesus as creator and knowing that that's his true identity. He is God. He is the creator. 
And if you want to see this from a few other angles, not directly related to creation, you could visit Philippians chapter 2, 6. It tells us that Jesus did not consider equality with God something to hold tightly to, but he humbled himself to take on human flesh. Or you could Ephesians chapter 1, where it says that we were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. So there's all of this emphasis on Jesus being the word, and by being the word, he must be with God and must be God. So here, the first thing we see bound up in this idea of Jesus being the Word is understanding and cherishing Jesus as the Word, and we honor Jesus and worship Jesus and glorify Jesus as God because he is God by being the Word of God. And if you reduce Jesus to anything less than equality with God, then you're not seeing Jesus correctly. The the doctor needs to flip another lens over your eyes. You're not able to worship Jesus for who he really is if you're not worshiping him as creator. The identity of Jesus as the word of God helps us have a proper understanding of him. By being the word of God, Jesus is rightly known to be God and to be worshipped as God. By whom and for whom all things have been created. But that's not the only significance of Jesus as the word of God. That would be a lot just to meditate on that for the rest of the month. But the word of God has other implications as well. Not just that he is creator and is God, but that we understand that as the word of God, Jesus is the revelation of God. So Jesus is the word of God in revelation and even in incarnation, as we'll see. As you read through the Old Testament, there's a certain phrase you'll see quite often, about actually about 800 times by my counting software. And the, and the phrase is, the word of the Lord, the word of the Lord, the word of the Lord, over 800 times. The word of the Lord comes to the people of God in order to teach them and to show them who he is. The word of the Lord came to the prophets, and it came to Moses, and it came to Abraham, and and it came to generals, and it came to kings, and it came to farmers, and it came to sheep herders, and it came to single moms, and it came to abandoned slaves. Over and over and over again, you see the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord comes to people in order that they might know God and know his will and who he is. Even to the prophets of Baal, the word of the Lord would come. And they would have to prophesy things for Israel that they didn't want to prophesy. Because the word of the Lord had come to them and they couldn't say anything else. But in Jesus, the writer of Hebrews sees the word of God in a new form. It's it's, it's the word of God in its final form. He says, long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. And so as Christians, of course, we understand that we're following Jesus because of an absolute confidence that what Jesus says and what Jesus does is indisputably the word of God without error because Jesus is God. Jesus, we can have so much confidence in Jesus because he cannot be anything other than the perfect representation of God. Otherwise, how could we trust him? He's not simply a wise man who had the best interpretation of the Old Testament up to that point in history. We're not trusting Jesus' interpretation of the law and the promises because he was a really smart guy. We trust in Jesus as the perfect embodiment and teacher and revelation of God because he is God. Because his knowledge is literally divine in nature. And so when Jesus speaks, the Father speaks. And whenever the Father has said, Jesus has said. 
John 12:50 says, I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. But just as being the word in creation holds more significance than just being the means of creation, but being the actual creator, so Jesus being the word of revelation means more than simply teaching the law or interpreting the promises. When the Bible says Jesus is the word of God, it means literally that Jesus is the personal fulfillment of the law and is the keeper of all the promises of God. Jesus says of himself, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus is the word of God. He is the law of God in that he is the perfect fulfillment of the law. Paul writes in Romans 10 that Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. So he doesn't just teach the law. He is the law. And he fulfills the law. He's the culmination of the law. He's the end of the law. He doesn't get rid of it. He personifies it. He manifests it. And then in 2 Corinthians 1.20, Paul writes, For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. So Jesus doesn't just explain the promises of God. Jesus is the fulfillment of the promises of God. Every promise of God finds its fulfillment in the person of Jesus Christ. And that is why he is the word. And that's where Jesus as the word of God moves beyond revelation even to incarnation. He's the creator incarnate. He's also the law and the promises incarnate. And this is what John is driving at in the opening lines of his gospel when in verse 14 he writes, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only son of the, from the father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus is the revelation of God He's literally the incarnation of God. He goes beyond just revealing who God was like the prophets are to becoming the word of God in flesh, in our presence, so that when we look at Jesus, we are looking at God. He's showing us the perfect imprint of God. And I'm going to risk a little aside here to talk about what word John uses for the word word. It's less confusing than it sounds. But there's a certain word that John uses for the word word. And when he says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, we should wonder, what is that word that John is using for the word word? And in Greek, he has a couple of choices here as he's writing. He could use rema, as Luke does when he writes, Mary replied, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word, rema, your spoken word. Or he could use the word logos, which also means the spoken or written word, but it means the reason behind the word. It's the embodiment of an idea or the embodiment of reason in the word. And by the time Jesus is teaching and John is writing, so we're talking about 30 to 35 AD, the Greek logos had taken on a significant philosophical meaning. The the Stoics, about 350 years earlier, had claimed that the Logos was the active reason or intelligence that permeated and animated the universe we see. And, And Plato claimed a sort of variation of that idea. Plato and the Stoics were contemporaries of each other, about 350 years before Jesus. And, and, 
he claimed that the Logos was the mediating agent between the perfect invisible forms and the imperfect created embodiments of those forms. And, and Logos was the mediating agent between those things. So the Logos to the Stoics is either the per- permeating reason or intelligence behind everything in creation, or it's the mediating agent between the perfect, perfect forms and the imperfect. And so John, as he's sitting here writing to a bunch of Hellenized Jews and a bunch of Greeks and Romans, he thinks, I know what word I should use for the word word. I should use the word logos. Because every Jew has a certain understanding of what the word of God is, and every Greek has a certain understanding of what the logos is. And they're the same thing. The logos is the mediating, permeating reason for creation. In both creation and in mediating to creation. And so that's why we have this word logos used by John. Jesus is the logos. He is the logos become fresh, flesh. The word became flesh. The logos became flesh. And if you're a Stoic or a Platonist at this time, that like blows your mind. Sorry, you're saying the logos has become flesh? Right, This binding reason, this mediating agent between the perfect forms and the imperfect creation has become flesh and dwelt among us. The Logos is personified, and we've seen his glory, glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so when you see Jesus, you see God. Jesus is the revelation of God, not just by his teaching, not just by words, not just by his interpretation of Scripture, but by his very being, Jesus is the revelation of God incarnate. Hebrews, our key text says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. They're trying to stress something here that you can't get around. He is the Logos. Jesus himself says it to Philip. Philip said to him, Lord, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever's seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? I'm right here, in your presence, embodied. When you see Jesus, you see God. So Jesus is the word of God in creation, He's the word of God in revelation, which is ultimately an incarnation, the word becoming flesh. And then finally, Jesus is the word of God in salvation. And this is the other important context as you sort of put that lens down over your eye of seeing Jesus clearly as the word. He's creator, he's revealer, he's incarnate, but he is the word of God in salvation. And God's word is active in salvation. Psalm 107 says, Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them, and delivered them from their destruction. See, the word of God is this thing that is sent to heal and to deliver. Now, the psalmist understood it in terms of Israel and in terms of God's people and the word of God coming to them for their healing. But we understand, because God has sent us Jesus as his incarnate word, that when God sends his word for our healing and our delivering, that Jesus is our then salvation. Jesus can't be the word of God and not be our salvation. 
by being the word of God that is sent, Jesus is then our salvation. The word of God carries the power of healing and deliverance. The word of God is sent out to heal and deliver. And so if we look at our two key texts again, where Jesus is associated with the word, where Jesus is described in terms of creation and revelation, we also see that he is described in salvation as well. Hebrews 1.3, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And back in John, John 1.12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You see, Jesus is the manifestation of the sending word of God, of God sending his salvation into creation to heal and to restore and to save. We read this explicitly in John 3.17. We all know John 3.16, but if you just go one more verse, it says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So Jesus was not sent to condemn, but to save. He's the word of God sent in salvation. Later on, the disciples and apostles and people like Peter write things like, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. Or if you remember from our series on James, in James 1.18, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth. Receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save our souls. So Jesus is the word of God in salvation. He is the word that saves us. Now we can ask ourselves here, are James and Peter just talking about the words of the gospel? That the gospel saves us. That if we understand what the message or the words of the gospel are, then that saves us. Or are they talking about the person of Jesus? And I think the answer to that question is yes. Peter and James are talking about the gospel. They're talking about the word of truth. They're talking about the living and abiding word. So they're talking about the gospel, but I think they're also talking about Jesus because you cannot separate the word of the gospel from the word of the person of Jesus, from the word of God. Jesus is the word of God in the saving sense, and the gospel are the words about Jesus. Jesus is the word of the gospel. He's the one who's willingly acting on our behalf, who's choosing us with the Father before the foundation of the world. And then he's the one who's humbling himself to enter creation and pay the debt for our sin and being raised from the dead for our salvation. So the words of the gospel is the word of Jesus as well, as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preach to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you unless you believed in vain. So the word is the gospel, but the word is Jesus. He is the word of the gospel. It's hard to pull the two apart. You don't have the gospel without Jesus because he's the one who enacted all the words of the gospel. So the logos of God has come and the news of the logos of God coming goes out into the world And if you receive that word, that news of his coming, that gospel, and you hold tightly to the word of it, then you are holding tightly to the personal word. You're holding tightly to the person of Jesus, and that is by which you are being saved. You see, the law and the prophets, what the law and the prophets could not do, only God could do himself. This is why this is so important in our salvation and in our understanding clearly who Jesus is. 
The, the only substitution that can satisfy the justice of God is God himself. The only one that can forgive the debt and take on the debt is the one to whom the debt is owed. It makes no sense for us to be in debt to God and have that price or that debt borne by anyone other than God. The debt of sin is owed to God, and so only God can bear the cost of the debt if it's not repaid. If we are forgiven the debt, it's only because God has accepted to bear it, and God has borne it in the person of his Son. And all of this is done through Jesus, the fulfillment of the law, the keeper of the promises, the saving word of God. So Jesus stands at the center of the Bible. He stands at the center of our salvation, at the center of our Christian life. And as such, it makes sense that God would give Jesus so many different titles and names and descriptions. Because as we're reading through the Bible, especially as we're reading through the New Testament, God wants us to see who Jesus is for who he really is. You don't want to get the person of Jesus wrong. Because your salvation depends on knowing that Jesus. And our love and our cherishing and our treasuring depends on knowing him for who he is. We can't love Jesus the way that we ought to love Jesus if we don't truly know Jesus. And so God has given us all these names and all these titles for Jesus and all these descriptions of who he is. And he says, just go through them all and look through them all and see Jesus for who he is. The names and titles are a gift to us. These names and titles, as we meditate on them and dig into the scriptures to understand why they're there, they help us to see Jesus in as many ways as possible because he's reflected in so many different lights in these 50 or 60 different names. These things help us to meditate on and treasure the fullness of who Christ is as the fullness of God. And they act as corrective lenses where if we started to get a wrong idea about who Jesus was or who it was or how we were saved, then these lenses of these titles come over our eyes and we can look through them and look through Scripture and see clearly, oh, I wasn't thinking rightly about that. This helps me understand it. And Jesus being the word helps us in at least these three ways. By being the word of God, he is there with God before creation and all things are created through him. By being the word, Jesus is creator. By being the word in revelation, he is the perfect interpreter of the law, the perfect describer of the promises, but he is the embodiment of the perfect exact imprint of God. So he doesn't just teach about God, he is God and shows us God by who he is. And finally, we understand because Jesus is the word, he is the word of God sent to heal and to save. He's the word of God in salvation. He was sent from heaven, humbled himself to live among us, to live the perfect life, to die the sacrificial death, to bear our sins, to be resurrected for our justification and our salvation. And so we understand that Jesus is the word of God in our salvation, the power of God in our salvation. This brings clearly into focus that he is creator, he's revelation, he's incarnate, and he's the salvation God sent for our healing and our rescue from destruction. That's who Jesus is to everybody who believes on him, to every Christian. That's what it means to be a Christian, is to know Jesus as Jesus. And so I pray that as this morning, 
has been a lens to look at Jesus afresh through this title, the Word, that as we go through this series, that each of us will understand that the eyes of our hearts are being opened and allow those corrective lenses to correct things in our hearts or in our minds that we have misunderstood about who Jesus is. Or maybe we've seen it and seen him and treasured him in this way for most of our lives. Then this series is just an opportunity to see him again afresh and to meditate on and to worship him and to glorify him in all of these ways that he is described. Let's pray. Father God, we give you thanks that Jesus is the word of God. We thank you that he is creator, that he is incarnate, that he's the perfect revelation of who you are, that he's the way in which you have said, this is how I want you to be known. I want you to know me personally. So I'm going to come so that you might know me. And I want to save you. I want to heal you and rescue you from destruction. And so God, you sent your word. And your word was Jesus. And Father, we just give you thanks for that. We ask that you would correct any error in our thinking on that, that you would help us to see it more clearly and in seeing Jesus and beholding him more clearly, that we would treasure him and love him all the more. We thank you that Jesus is the word. pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Paul. <clears throat>